She is a social worker, a health educator, a medical missionary, and an author with a brand new book. Her name is Karen Lynch. I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Karen Lynch, thank you so much for joining me. Great to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. I am holding your book, Karen Lynch's Plant-Based Made Simple. Simple, nutritious, delicious. It looks good enough to eat. Are I'm you? talking about the book, <laughs> not what's inside. So I'm looking forward to talking about this in just a moment. This is your first cookbook? It is my first cookbook. Fantastic. Looking at it, we all wish this will not be your last. Ay, ay, ay. But there's time for that. Let's talk about you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from. Well, originally... I'm from New Jersey, born and raised there, and I relocated five years ago to uh, north, uh, northwest Georgia or Wildwood, right in the Chattanooga area. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. We are glad to have you here. Now, talk to me a little bit about your experience as, as a Christian. Were you raised in a Christian home? What, what was your background? Sure. I was raised in, as a Seventh-day Adventist by my father. Uh, my parents divorced when I was younger, and my father um, ended up being able to have custody of both my sister and I. And so, uh, by God's grace, because he had a very strong foundation in the church, he was um, a wonderful uh, Christian father who kept us in a home that just really glorified God. You know, that's a little unusual, isn't it, for, for a divorce, and we're going back just a few years, mm-hmm. and for the dad to have custody. How, how difficult was that for you, being raised in that, in that milieu, that environment, having clearly gone through some, some traumatic experiences? Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. My father was a Christian growing up. Um, from his teens, um, but he became a Seventh-day Adventist after he married. And um, my mother uh, was from the ca- a Catholic background. However, she really, you know, was pretty much Catholic in name, but not so much in practice. And so what happened was when my father, when he was ready to start a family, he went through the phone book because he says, I need to find a church that speaks the truth. And so he started in the A's and he would call, speak to the pastor and uh, and then go to the church. And so as he went down the thing, he started realizing that many churches weren't following the Bible. And um, he ended up finally finding a Seventh-day Adventist church. And uh, he thought this was such an interesting story. And he told because he, um, he called the pastor, but the pastor wasn't available. And so his pa- the wife got on the phone and said, oh, you know, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. And he said, this is really interesting because not one pastor's wife was willing to speak with him. They say, oh, my husband's not home. You could talk to him. So he said, so he started asking some questions and she had biblical answers for him. And so he's very impressed. And she says, you know, he said, well, I'd like to come to your church. And she said, well, I don't know if you know, but we worship on Saturday, the Sabbath day. And he says, my father said, well, you know what? I'm not opposed to that, so I will meet you. And uh, but he he said at the time, you know, I'm I'm concerned. Maybe they maybe they're Jewish, but maybe they're Jews for Jesus. All right, right. So he's like, but I'll I'll check it out. So he went that that Sabbath and um, was waiting. He says, I know there's got to be Jewish people here somewhere. And he waited and he waited. And what happened was uh, the pastor came out. Now, interestingly enough, the pastor happened to be Lebanese. Oh, how about so that? So he looked very Semitic. So my father said, aha, I knew that, that, that this was a Jewish congregation. That's great. He said, but as soon as he started speaking God's word, he said, I, I heard Jesus throughout his whole message and studied and baptized, you know, within probably, you know, a few months of his studies with the pastor and then started his journey as a Seventh-day Adventist. What a fantastic story. Yeah. 
Listen, I, 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 your dad just strikes me as the most remarkable sort of a guy. Oh, he was wonderful. Uh, he sadly passed away um, in 1998, but um, you know, he, he just. We had such a great foundation. It was a wonderful childhood, even though my parents divorced when we were younger. Um, my mom actually moved to Florida, and so we stayed in New Jersey. And it was, like you said, it was pretty remarkable, the, a man raising two daughters yeah. at that time, because even his, his attorney said, you know, if you ask for custody, you'll only get weekends. And my father says, well, that's not acceptable. He said, and he says, but I'm going to let you know they'll never take custody away from a mother for a father. And yet... By God's grace, my mother didn't contest it, and my father raised us. So, well, praise the Lord. God had a plan, yes, and, uh, yes. and your dad left you a remarkable legacy because his life pretty quickly became all about the Bible, faith in God, following Amen. the Lord. And that's what your life has been oh. all about. You, you're, you're a minister. We, uh, I'll qualify that. I mentioned uh, a moment ago you're a, a medical missionary. You're involved in ministry up to here. <laughs> so let's talk about Before we talk about the book, and I, okay. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. I have to wait. But before we talk about that, let's talk about some of the other things you do. You are involved in the Lay Institute for Global Health Training, LIGHT. Yes. Um, a department of or a minister of the Wildwood Health, Wildwood Health Institute, not far from here, in Wildwood in North Georgia. Yes. Tell me about LIGHT. Sure. Well, LIGHT, like you said, is the Lay Institute for Global Health Training. It's a ministry that kind of uh, started with people at Wildwood who recognized that the message of medical missionary work that needs to go to all church members was not globally being, you know, taught as as well as it could be. Okay. And so they put together uh, a ministry that would go out and reach people in their own home countries, in their own home cities, and take a more like a nuts and bolts essentials of health evangelism, we call it to the people and train them like in a month. It's about a 125 hour course. It takes about a month to put this together. And um, we, you know, we've been in over 95 countries um, and trained almost 40,000 lay people as medical missionaries. Yeah. It's not that we have enough of that either. I think we don't have nearly enough uh, health training, health evangelism Mm -hmm. training. Look, a world is mired in a pandemic. Exactly. Now more than ever. People need good health principles. People know how to look after themselves. People know how to avoid comorbidities to give themselves a far better shot sure. at surviving COVID. Um, we need much more and absolutely zero less of global health training. So thank God for what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Well, and, and my husband, actually, uh, him and I are the North American directors for our division okay. here. Well, that's going to keep you hopping and yes. running. Well, it does. It yeah. keeps us driving. We do a lot of we do a lot of miles every year because we travel mostly by car. Fantastic. Hey, listen, um, let's, let's go back a little bit even further because you mentioned, uh, we discussed, Light is a, a ministry of Wildwood. Talk to me about Wildwood and oh. its very rich history, the Wildwood Health Institute, sure. which has been in Wildwood, Georgia for... Well, you it's tell me. Eight, almost 80 years now. Uh, it's been there. It is, was the first institute actually that really followed the blueprint of having not only a sanitarium, which had start, you know, sanitariums had popped up, you know, at the turn of the century, sure. but, um, having a sanitarium along with a, an education department that would educate medical missionaries. Mm. So they would not only be able to work in the ministry right there at the lifestyle center, we call it now, but they also can go out and take that message of health to the world. Wildwood had, had, has had a huge impact 
on medical missionary work and health evangelism. So, so thank God for what you're doing and what you're a part yeah, of. No. I, I, explain it to me a little bit. So you go out your health evangelism. I want to know more about this. So what are you involved in? Well, we, we do something very specific. My husband, Ron, and I, um, as directors in North America, you know, what I had mentioned is, is going out throughout the world and taking these courses, these one-month courses to train medical missionaries in churches all over the world. However, in the United States, it's a little different. Sure. And the reason why is because, uh, you know, we see the commitment. Uh, we've been all over the world as well doing trainings through light. And we see people traveling three hours each way on a bus every single day, not missing a day to come and absorb everything we're teaching them about medical missionary work. However, let's fast forward now in the United States. You don't even see people committing to weekends sometimes. Right. You know, it, it's, it's sad we have these busy lives that we've probably self-imposed, you know, to sure. keep up with the lifestyle that we live here in the United States. Yeah. So we don't, we don't have a, lot, a big opportunity to do these schools, the one-month schools. So what we do is we travel to the churches um, by invitation. So they call us and we'll come. And what we do is we do a health emphasis program, whether it's a weekend or maybe um, a one week or 10 days of really focusing on uh, different parts of medical missionary work, just kind of revive the church members sure. to, um, you know, to revitalize, the, you know, the, the church to embrace health, um, health evangelism to reach their community for uh, Jesus. Let's make sure we're not talking past people here, because I think you and I both have a frame of reference here, but what's health evangelism? What is reaching your community using health evangelism? What does that look like? Well, I have to say there are so many aspects. You know, a medical missionary, you know, we talk about a lot of times um, that every church member should be a medical missionary. That could be something as simple as your coworker saying to you, you know, I just, you know, I've been meaning to lose these 10 pounds and I've been, I don't, you know, I don't exercise enough. You know what? Hey, how about when we have lunch? Why don't we walk after lunch, walk in the park for 20 minutes. That is as simple as medical missionary work can be. Sure. But it also can go all the way to being fully trained in natural remedies, things like hydrotherapy or massage therapy, or even like herbal therapies, things of, of nature that God has given us. You know, we talk a lot about the eight laws of health and how to, you know, apply those to our lives. And so uh, when we go to the churches, we really try to emphasize, you know, being able to go God's way and being able to to open up doors that way for people. Now, I know somebody is concerned because they hear, oh, you mentioned herbs and you mentioned this and that and the other, and they're wondering, does this mean that medical missionary work is opposed to conventional medicine? How do you answer that? No, absolutely not. You know, I, we, you know God has given, you know, wisdom to doctors and nurses and, and medical professionals. You know, um, we, I believe that when we go out to speak to people, even at Lifestyle Center at Wildwood, um, you know, there's a time and place for medications. You know, there's life-saving medications out there. You know, we did a health expo, which is kind of putting together the eight laws of health in different booths and having people, um, you know, come and get screenings at all these different booths. And we were doing uh, the Sunshine Booth. And a health, this was in Newark, New Jersey, one of our uh, expos that we did when we were first medical missionaries. And gentleman came in and his blood pressure was, I believe, 210 over 190. Oh, have mercy. Now, Took the blood pressure. We're like, okay, there must be something wrong here. Whoop, took the blood pressure again. Must be something wrong. Called over one of the doctors. Took the blood pressure. Now, at this point, is this the place where you would say, okay, I want you to go home and take some garlic or maybe do a hot <laughs> foot bath? No, this is where, you know what? I think it's best if we, we get you to the hospital. You know, because obviously uh, to, re- to get his blood pressure down may take some medical intervention. Right. 
However, God has a, has a way of using natural remedies not only to prevent disease, but also to reverse it as well. And so we could, you know, then teach about these, you know, lifestyle changes that this gentleman could do to actually naturally uh, lower his blood pressure and continue in a healthier way. And it's too bad that many people don't realize that God does have a way to, to, to wind back high blood pressure and to, in many, many cases, sure. reverse diabetes Absolutely. and other what we would call lifestyle uh, diseases. If, if people just knew and were willing to invest a little, I don't know, a little time, sure. a little energy, a little application, there can be dramatic results, can't there, from Absolutely. natural interventions? Absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, the thing is, is that we have to also remember that we, we have to give God time to do the miracle in our life. Yeah. I tell a lot of people, I say, you know, when we apply the laws of health, you know, somebody could you know, start eating perfect plant-based diet. They could exercise every day. They can drink their water. They can go through all these, you know, to get the sunshine, uh, temp, you know, be very temperate, fresh air, the good rest, and of course, uh, do all those things perfectly. Could they still get sick though? Oh, sure. The answer is yes. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, is that when we tie those seven uh, laws of health with the last one, which is trust in the higher power, when we when we accept that God has given us these natural laws of health, it gives him permission to do a miracle in our life when we obey them. And that's really what I tell people that, you know, when we're obeying these things that God has given us, it is giving him permission to do the miracle. I'm sure we'll get back to this, but I do not want to wait too long to start talking to you about this book. It's clear that your ministry is far broader than, mm-hmm. than a book, but, yes. oh, wow, this is quite a book. Um I, I, I think I just want to eat the front cover <laughs> uh, immediately. You got me with that front cover. But this is why the book. How, how did the book come about? What, what prompted you to write Karen Lynch's Plant-Based Made Simple? Sure. Well, I was, doing, I was going to be recording a cooking program. And uh, when I went to record, uh, they said to me, do you have a cookbook? And I said, oh, no. And they said, you don't have a cookbook. You don't have a cookbook. And they, they kept on like, and it was almost like, like shock. Like, you don't, you don't have a cookbook. You're just going to come and do, do a thing. I'm like, oh, maybe I need a cookbook. I don't know. I, I kind of was new to really, um, you know, really ministering with, I did cooking schools and I can tell you a little bit more about that, uh, later, but I had done cooking schools for my church, but I had not, you know, really gone out, you know, in ministry and did a uh, big events or anything. And so when, after I was done, it was always in the back of my mind. Maybe I should write a cookbook. And so when I finally realized that maybe I should put these recipes together, I really prayed about it and God really put that book together. I, I didn't, you know, pick certain recipes. I let him put the book together and, um, I went to a publisher and, you know, being a missionary, you know, we're not salaried or anything. So we don't, you know, we don't get a, uh, you know, a lot of income. So when they said, Oh, we'll take care of the printing. We'll do this and that, but you have to pay for the layout and all that. And I'm like, okay. And then the price was like, almost like, you know, seven or $10,000. I'm like, okay, that could be 7 million. It's still probably unattainable for me. And so I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? And at Wildwood, I had just mentioned it to the director at the Lifestyle Center where I was teaching the cooking schools. And they're like, we'll do it with you. And I'm like, what? And so we put our our heads together. They co-copyrighted the book with me. They sponsored the book. I had them review everything that I was going to put in there to make sure it, it met their needs, which it did. And they were able to do my layout, all my 
um, my editing and all my pictures. And here we are today. Praise the Lord, right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, God's blessing is certainly on this book. I don't 100% know where to begin, but I'm going to ask you, I think, a general question. What is it about a book like this that gets you excited? Oh, well, you know, I what I did was when I prayed about putting this book together, I said, Lord, what should I put in here that would attract people, not just people who are already, you know, plant-based, not just brand new people. Maybe it could be a, a book that anybody could pick up and it would be appealing to. And so I tried to find certain things that I, I saw in other publications. And I wanted it to be like, I, I call it Barnes and Noble quality. I wanted it to be able to be on any bookshelf. It didn't have to be just in a church bookstore or just at your church or just online. I wanted it to be something that anybody would pick up and could be, a, you know, could be attracted to this book. So I put things in like QR codes where you could scan it and I can be in the kitchen with you and doing the recipe. Uh, so we did a lot of those recipes, um, you know, go right to videos. I really put a section in there of heart, you know, need to knows, different ingredients, different techniques, things of that nature that could help somebody, uh, you know, starting on a journey of plant-based health. You know, so it was, you know, I tried to make things and I wanted every picture to be a big color picture so that it would be appealing. You say, okay, that looks delicious because we eat with our eyes, don't we? Oh, yeah, we sure do. But on the front cover, especially, you'll see where it says simple, nutritious, and delicious. That's my catchphrase because I believe that food should be as grown and simply prepared with simple ingredients. Okay. So we shouldn't have to go to the health food store or all over the world buying all our ingredients every week. Maybe make that, that, journey once or twice a year and get a couple things that might be some, you know, interesting things that you might not have in your cabinet. Nutritious. Well, so that's the simple part. The nutritious part is the, um, the fact is, is that it should be whole food plant-based. And in my book is primarily, it's about 95% whole food plant-based. That's have some things processed in there, maybe a little tofu, maybe a little olive oil and one or two recipes here and there. But for the most part, it's, it's whole food plant-based. I wanted to ask you about that because some people hear plant-based and they think, oh, well, I've got to go to, I've got to traverse the widest ocean to try to find some obscure berry or some ancient grain that yeah. you can only buy on a full moon. Uh, you've, you've managed to avoid all of that. And, and I'm not against berries or no, ancient grains. I'm yeah. simply saying sometimes, sometimes plant-based can just be intimidating sure. because it makes good food less accessible. Exactly. You've avoided that somehow. That takes some skill. Well, that's why I, when I do cooking schools, especially, I try to make sure that people can get all the, I get the, all the ingredients locally so they can, they can see what I demonstrate. They can actually do. That's where the simple, nutritious, and then delicious. If it doesn't taste good, then who's going to eat it, right? Exactly right. Well, we're going to eat it. And maybe by the time this program is over, I will have started munching on the cover because the book looks great. We'll talk about some of the specifics in just a moment. She is Karen Lynch and I am John Bradshaw. This is our conversation. We'll be back with more in just a moment. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written, inviting you to join me for 500. Nine programs produced by It Is Written, taking you deep into the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. We'll take you to Wittenberg and to Belgium, to England, to Ireland, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and introduce you to the people who created the Reformation, who pushed the Reformation forward. 
We'll take you to sites all throughout Europe where the reformers lived and in some cases died. We'll bring you back to the United States and take you to a little farm in upstate New York and show you how God spread the Reformation here. Don't miss 500. You can own the 500 series on DVD. Call us on 888-664-5573 or visit us online at itiswritten.shop. Welcome back to Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Karen Lynch, a Cornell University trained. Tell me a little bit about that. That's that, uh, that's impressive. You've you've studied at Cornell. Well, I did a program called um, their uh, plant based nutrition program. So I I got a certificate in plant based nutrition from their Center for Nutritional Studies. It was really founded by T. Colin Campbell, who oh, is yeah? really a forerunner in plant-based nutrition. Sure. If you remember the China study, a sure. lot of people know about the China study. Um, and he really has taken, you know, uh, the secular world into a more plant-based, you know, and, you know, medically studied where it really had the, the benefits of plant-based. Now, of course, we know we've done our own studies throughout our church um, with Loma Linda and the uh, the health studies there, uh, but but it's nice that we also have that to validate the things that we already know. Absolutely. Okay, talk to me a little bit about the book. Uh, some things in the book that you like. Oh, you mean recipes? Yeah, recipes. Oh, that might be all fa- of them. I don't, I don't expect you like some and dislike others, oh, but no. let's talk about a couple. Some of your favorites. Well, I have to say, you know, it's funny because people always say, oh, are these all your favorite recipes? And I always tell them, no, I actually cook a lot of different things at home. These are so, the ones though, that the Lord really impressed me to put in the book. Sure. I said, but some of them are my favorites. One of our breakfast favorites that we have, and we do this like on Sabbath every morning, is I make, well, I don't make them on Sabbath. I make them ahead of time, but we do uh, the corn and oat waffles. That's actually the first recipe in the book, in the breakfast section. And uh, those are, you know, when I got that recipe together, my husband said, I will never eat another waffle. He loves them. Then with some nice like fruit sauce, especially we do a lot of blueberry fruit sauce because oh, that's yeah. one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. So that's great. Um, let me try to think of one of our, um, one of my favorites on the, in the entrees in there. Well, one of the all time favorites, and it's a fan favorite too. I do it in a lot of cooking schools, um, is mac and cheese. Oh yeah. Yeah. The mac and cheese, because the, the cheese sauce, I really, you know, my husband is actually from Tennessee. Uh, he was raised here in Tennessee mostly. And, um, Southern cooking is, is really home cooking, comfort foods and mac and cheese is one of the, one of the, you know, biggest comfort foods. I mean, not only for a holiday, not only for a weekend, for a dinner, but you know, oh, I'm, oh, you have the sniffles. I'll make you mac and cheese. I mean, it's like mac and cheese is, goes with everything in the South. And so I kind of put that cheese sauce together. And, um, you know, it's funny because when my husband and I first got married, we were vegetarians, but not completely plant-based. So I had to really ramp up my mac and cheese recipe because I was competing with like his mom who was making mac and cheese her whole life. Right. And so um, and he loved it. But then when I started making it plant based, he said to me, I like this even better. So even better. And and he's a southern boy. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the recipe here and I'm not going to give the game away because (laughs) um, I'm just not. Um, One thing I notice here and I've seen this in several of the recipes, two teaspoons of Himalayan pink salt or salt of your choice. So what is it about the Himalayan pink salt that you like? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, learning a little bit about salt, Himalayan pink salt is actually mined about 5,000 feet below sea level. Mm. And so it's, it's like 99.9999% pure. 
okay? And it has 84 trace minerals in it. So, you know, now trace minerals are minerals that we only need in small amounts in our body, but we have to get them from foods. We, we, our body doesn't manufacture them. So getting 84 trace minerals, I think, wow, that's a great bonus. You know, comparing it to like something like a sea salt, you know, a lot of sea salts have probably about 60 trace minerals in them, which isn't too bad either. That's pretty good. The the only thing though, and, and I, and I think that mined sea salts are the ones that I would recommend, like kind of like that, um, Maybe like real salt, which is from Utah. Mm-hmm. I could tell you a great story about that. I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay. Um, but then also like the, um, oh, uh, Celtic sea salts. Those are ones from the UK that are mined. Now, there are also sea salts that they get from the ocean. Those are not ones though that I really recommend. And you know, sea salt really came on the market probably 20 years ago sure. and became like the super fat. Everybody thought they were doing themselves a huge favor. And I, and they had in the sense of minerals. But what we do find now is all the ocean dumping and things like that, there's something called microplastics. Mm. And microplastics are these minuscule pr- plastic that has not been fully dissolved. And so this is the studies show that actually every person who, and you, we get microplastics through the air, in our foods and all this, we eat about approximately a credit card's worth of plastic a week. Oh, Can you imagine that? No. One whole credit card. So I, I'm not trying to get more plastic. So I, right. that's why I don't recommend those regular sea salts. Uh, but then, of course, there's regular table salt that most people are, you know, the Morton and the Diamond and whatever t- salt you would use. Unfortunately, uh, that has zero uh, trace minerals because oh. it's so overprocessed. Not only are they bleaching it to make it nice and white. They are using um, aluminum derivatives in the process as well. And we there's such a link to like dementia and Alzheimer's right. with aluminum and aluminum toxicity. And then, of course, the other thing, too, is that they um, use something called yellow prussiate of soda. Right. Yellow prussiate of soda is actually an anti-clumping agent because, you know, back in the day, people would put like rice in their salt shaker so sure. that it wouldn't get clumpy. But you don't see that anymore. People just pour and it blow, pours out. It's because they have an anti-clumping agent in it. It is a, a known carcinogen. And so it's one of those things that you've got now bleach in there, aluminum, a known carcinogen, plus you've now stripped out all the minerals out of, you know, the salt. They actually do throw a little iodine back in because right. iodine's so important for like your thyroid. And they do put that in there, but it's not the natural sourced iodine, you know. Uh, every good plant-based cookbook has to have a recipe like this, but this is the any bean veggie burger. It's ordinarily black bean. I was surprised to see any bean. Yeah, I actually use white beans more than I would use black beans in that one. No kidding. But you can use any bean. Right. <laughs> That's why any bean, whatever bean you have at home, whatever bean you like, I, I happen to like it with a white bean, like a cannellini bean or like a white kidney bean. That's well, it looks good. You, the, the, the photography team did an outstanding job. I noticed you have a jackfruit recipe in here. No, Jackfruit's become popular in recent years and for good reason. It's good. It is. You know, it's a great meat substitute, you know, especially for like those shredded chicken types of things. Or I've actually done a faux pot roast with jackfruit as well. It's not in the, it's not in the recipe. It's not in the cookbook, though. I just kind of put that together one day uh, for my husband and it, and it came out excellent. Yeah. Uh, you know, wh- where do we go here? I'm, I'm getting past the primavera and the uh, southwestern chickenless salad, the sides and the sauces. Ah, that's what I was seeing a minute ago. I mean, I'll give you one guess. Dessert. Oh, dessert. Oh, these look good. Which ones are they? Oh, all of them. Oh, what are you talking them, about? All of them. Banana date nut cookies. Karen's chocolatey, chunky carob candy clusters. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't last a minute around here. Carob hazelnut mousse. 
Is that as good as it looks and sounds? They came out excellent. When I put that together, I was doing a program called Italian Made Simple. You know, all my all my cooking shows that I've done is whatever made simple. Yeah. And one of the first ones was Italian Made Simple. And I said, well, I want to get a dessert that kind of, you know, it, you know, is is with my my Italian heritage because I'm Italian. And um and so I said, oh, hazelnut, it's like kind of that Nutella flavor, you yeah. know, that people know and love. And that, that came out excellent, really. Hazelnuts are just the most fantastic they things out there. delicious. Oh, yeah. I think they're underrated, undereaten. They are magnificent. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, I'm just going to divert a little bit here and ask you a more general question. Sure. When it comes to cooking and, and, and okay, two questions. First, you said made simple. Are these, I mean, are these really simple recipes? I'm going to tell you that those recipes are so simple. I, I almost, did... Sometimes I always say I'm a little embarrassed how easy I made the recipes because they're, cause I don't want to be, I'm not a complicated person. I don't want to spend all day in the kitchen. Right. And you know, we were doing mission work in India, Ron and I, and I noticed that the women would get up because we were, we were, a lot of people were, you know, we were staying at different places. So people were cooking for us every day and they would get up at like six o'clock in the morning and cook breakfast and we would eat like at eight o'clock. Then they would clean up and then they would cook lunch all morning, or all morning, and then they would serve lunch just say at 12 noon. Then they would clean up and then they'd start cooking dinner. We would eat dinner maybe at like five or so. And by the time they cleaned, they didn't leave the kitchen until eight o'clock at night. They were there from six in the morning to eight at night. I, I said, wow. I said, I wish I could simplify their life a little bit because I just felt like they, that was their whole existence was just in the kitchen. But I don't think in our busy lives that we need to, you know, uh, spend that much time. I think we should make things simple because we're using simple ingredients. Make them simply prepare, you know, make them easy because also too, when we overcook things, we also lose nutrition too, because we bring them up to a temperature that kind of breaks down the enzymes and things of that nature. Mm. We don't want to do that. We want to eat things, you know, as grown, as fresh as possible and very simply prepared. Now you, you, you just about, you just about blew me out of my chair here when you started talking about food cooked in India because I've been long convinced that when we get to heaven, we'll discover that the people in charge of food preparation are Indian. <laughs> What's your favorite food, ethnic, national, mm. whatever kind of a food? Oh, my goodness. And if it's not a favorite, what, what's one well, or like, two or like, three or four that you like, you know, Italian eat, or Chinese or whatever? I'm going to say I eat a lot of Asian food. And the reason why is, too, is because it's very easy to find things that are full of vegetables and are plant-based in, in the more Asian culture. You know, when we get into other cultures, they really focus. If you look at like European cooking, you'll see a lot of meat on that potato, yeah. on that, excuse me, on that plate. Then some potato, a lot of carbohydrates and carbohydrates are, are good for us. I mean, most of our food should be carbohydrates, but in a complex carbohydrate, yeah. not a refined carbohydrate, you know, so we want to really, you know, kind of, I try to focus. I, so I love Asian food. Um, but I like all ethnic foods, you know, I can find something everywhere I go, you know, and, uh, it's really, it's, it's kind of a fun journey when you travel as a missionary because you get to taste so many different culinary treats, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are a couple of things that everybody should have in their kitchen that maybe many people don't? And mm. it could be ingredients or tools. Sure. What's something that someone likely doesn't have in their kitchen? You say, you've got to have this. I think if you're transitioning to a more plant-based diet, the first Probably big purchase that you should make, and I always have a, a good way to, to get this this purchase, is a high-speed blender. Oh, yeah. I personally have a Vitamix, and I love my Vitamix. I wouldn't trade it. I, I actually have more than one because I take one on the road. I don't want to take the one from home. I like to make sure everybody has their place, right? Sure. But um, the Vitamix is probably the, the most cherished 
a piece of equipment that I have. It, um, and they're, they're, I always say they are, they run like a Cadillac, but they also cost like a Cadillac too, right? Right, right. And so how do you, how do you get a Vitamix? Many times people are on a budget and I kind of understand that, but I always say to, especially the ladies in our, my cooking classes, I'll say, you know, if you want a Vitamix, you start with, um, in January, you know, you've got, Valentine's Day, you've got your birthday, Mother's Day, you've got uh, anniversaries and Christmas. Right there, five holidays, right? If you just say, oh, I have a, you know, uh, if you want to just give me money toward my Vitamix, you'll have it within a year, right? Yeah, there you go. Nice and easy, right? If everybody, maybe a lot less than in a year if, it, if, the, if everybody jumps in and gives you a little bit for your birthday, right? So what does that high-speed blender do for you? That, that, because someone's saying, ah, oh, I'm just going to cut a corner and get something not quite as good. Uh, what are you missing out on by getting something not as good? Well, one of the things that I find that, you know, an ingredient, if you want to say another ingredient, an ingredient that, you know, people will transition to more is using nuts, yeah. uh, nuts and seeds, let's sure. say, too, because there are people with nut allergies. But nuts and seeds and you know the high speed blender not only saves time in the kitchen that's just the that's the bonus but it really will blend things to in such a manner that would would not have any grittiness creaminess and you know i just find that the like a high speed blender is just a necessity okay. when it comes to making sauces and soups and milks nut milks and you know whatever you know everything i probably use the vitamix more than anything in the cooking in the in cooking in my kitchen. Okay, so tell me another one or two things that people should have in the kitchen that maybe they don't. Maybe ingredients that people ingredients. aren't using enough of. I think an ingredient that w- is a great ingredient that has a, a benefit as well as it's a flavor enhancer. Let's say is nutritional yeast flakes. Mm. Now, nutritional yeast flakes are actually um, made by uh, taking the yeast that's grown on molasses and they kind of, they deactivate it by heating it up and then they grind it up and they actually add some B vitamins, especially B12. Mm. And B12 is, a, is one of the vitamins that a lot of people lack. Sure. And so uh, it's, it's nice as a condiment, but it has a nutty, creamy, cheesy kind of flavor. A lot of cheese sauces use that as the Exactly. As the it's a base, yeah, a base ingredient in a lot yeah. of cheese sauces. I have a few in my cookbook. I've got some that are made with nuts. Some were made with, you know, like a potato cheese. And I use the nutritional yeast a lot, um, at, you know, as a condiment in, in, these, in cooking. But I think that's another ingredient that um, that really, you know, will really help enhance food. But it also has a health benefit with the B, B vitamins. I'd like to ask you more about desserts, but I'm going to move past them as challenging as it is because, wow, they look good. Here's, here, here's a section that, 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 that can just kind of change a meal. Dips and dressings. Yes. If you've got the right dressing, the right dip, I mean, you can turn something pretty mundane into something really wow. Exactly. I think sauces, you know, um, gravies, uh, sauces, dips, dressings, all of those things really have to have a real punch of flavor. But we can get that even if we're cooking plant-based. You know, people sometimes think, you know, that, you know, you're going to lose flavor or you're going to, you're going to compromise. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think that you compromise at all. In fact, I think that your, your palate gets expanded with so many, uh, you know, f- such freshness and so many flavors by embracing these foods that maybe we kind of overlook or we overcook or we buy in a can versus getting fresh. So I think that, you know, these things are uh, definitely will enhance our experiences. I want to ask you a question here that the entire program could be taken up with this one answer. So it's a little unfair just to spring it on you in the hope that we can get this done in about 90 seconds or two minutes. <laughs> but why plant-based? Why, why should a person 
embrace the idea or start leaning towards plant-based foods? Sure. Uh, A few reasons. I think first, if we go back, biblically speaking, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, we'll see that our man's original diet was the nuts and the seeds and the fruits. It was plant-based. That's right. Then after sin, God actually incorporated the vegetables, right, and the herbs of the field. Um, So we are physiologically are built for a plant-based diet, right? So, and a good, I like to tell people when they ask me questions like that, you know, not only if we look at our, our, our anatomy, we'll see that we have teeth that are grinding teeth. You know, we, we're not carnivores. We're not, we don't have teeth like a cat. You know, a cat rips and tears flesh. We don't, you know, we don't have those kind of teeth. So we are there to grind foods. Are also, we're also built to eat fiber. You know, a cat doesn't have to eat any fiber. They're plant, they could be a diet of 95%, um, you know, fiberless diet and they're fine because they have an esophagus, a stomach and everything goes out. For us, we have an esophagus and a stomach, but then we have our small intestines, which absorbing our nutrition. Then we have our large intestines that is pushing out the waste, but without fiber fibrous foods, high fiber, such as fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, you know, things of that nature, we are not, in, and especially in the United States, we do not get enough fiber. And what happens is, is that we're not pushing these things out. You know, plant-based diet, medically speaking, um, most plant-based vegetarians probably have a good, and, and this is a rough statistic, maybe 95% on uh less likely to have like colon cancer mm. uh, because we eat a, a much more high fiber diet. So we have to you know, understand that our body is built for this. So, and of course with disease, you know, 94 to 96% of all disease is actually lifestyle. So only four to 6% is actually gen- true genetics. That's a, that's a crazy statistic, isn't it? It is because if you think about this, um, you know, we might have a genetic propensity for sure. something. But we have to trigger it with lifestyle. You've, you've probably heard this before, but if lifestyle was a gun, I mean, if, if genetics were a gun, your lifestyle pulls the trigger. So a gun is not dangerous unless it's, the trigger is pulled, right? So what happens? Well, 94 to 96% is lifestyle, but you know almost 70% of that lifestyle is exactly what we eat. And that really is what does a lot of determining of the, you know, of the genes and the mutation of the genes and, of course, disease. And so changing our diet and, um, you know, to a healthier plant-based diet can be extremely, extremely preventative of disease and, of course, reversal of disease. Oh, fantastic. Karen Lynch's Plant-Based Made Simple. The book is a masterpiece. But there's a question I want to ask you. The, the, even the title of the book gives rise to a question. I'll ask that question in just a moment. We'll be back with more with Karen Lynch. I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. If you enjoy coloring, then you are going to love the Buried Treasure Coloring Book from My Place with Jesus. The Buried Treasure Coloring Book has more than just pictures to color. You'll also enjoy activity pages, each accompanied by their very own audio story. Mr. Dixon came across a small, well-weeded rice patch out in the middle of a field. Get ahead of a rainy day or a relaxing evening as a family and order The Buried Treasure Coloring Book from It Is Written. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My very special guest is Karen Lynch. She's the author of Karen Lynch's Plant-Based Made Simple, which 
gives rise to a question. Karen Lynch's plant-based made simple. Now, someone might have called that vegan made simple, but you have called this plant-based made simple. So I want to find out if there's a, a distinction, a delineation. Why are we talking plant-based and not using the term vegan here? Sure. Well, I actually, when I describe, when I do cooking schools, when I talk to people, I always tell people I'm plant-based and or whole food plant-based technically. But the reason why I called the book Plant-Based Made Simple was because the word vegan. Now, that's probably the most common term for people that take animal products out of their diet. Sure. Right? So, but, the, but the interesting thing is that a vegan diet, although not only takes animal products out of their diet, but also stays away from using things that are animal products, such no as leather, leather. Don't use honey. Exactly. Things of that nature. And, and I said, well, you know, the reason why, uh, you know, I've made these changes in my own life was because of the nutritional way, you know, reasons why. But the word vegan really stems really beginning from Far Eastern religions because there was a time when people started not eating animals because of they believed in reincarnation. Sure. And so if mom passed away and she came back as a chicken on your farm, it would not be a good thing, right? That if you had chicken for dinner one night and it was your mom. Yeah. And so because of that, that's where the philosophy of a vegan diet came from. And then if we go now fast forward to the United States, it became very much more like animal activism. That's right. But but ve- the vegan diet doesn't necessarily have to be nutritious. And a good example, I tell people in my cooking class all the time, if I'm going to cook you breakfast tomorrow, would you be excited? They always say yes. And I'll say, so when you come to the table and I open, I lift up the, the top of the tray and you'll see all the food there and it's Oreo cookies. I said, I said, you don't have to tell me if you like Oreo cookies, but that's vegan. That's vegan. That's but right. is it nutritious? French fries are pretty vegan as that's well. Right. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about that, I always say a vegan diet doesn't necessarily have a component. Now, there are people who are vegan, they call themselves vegan, that are much more nutritious sure, conscious. Of but a vegan diet, you can go to the store and buy vegan food and it can be full of preservatives and a lot of junk, a lot of refined sugars and refined uh, flours, but they're vegan. Yeah, that word vegan, it's become a bit of a loaded term, hasn't it? You know what? You just answered a question I had planned to ask you. So but let me do that. Someone is saying, oh, I can get Karen Lynch's plant-based made simple. Mmm, that burger on the front cover looks good enough to eat. It's simple, but man, it's still going to take me some time. So I'm going to stop at Trader Joe's on the way home, not to pick on Trader Joe's. And I'm going to go and buy a couple of uh, vegan, plant-based, ready-to-heat-and-eat foods. Why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you? You know, uh, the problem that we face when we purchase foods, you know, they're always processed. Processed food is a huge a problem in the lifestyle of the United States, yeah. American, standard American diet. You know, it has it has an acronym, standard S, American A, diet D. What does it spell? Sad. So sad. Yes. And so what happens is, is people get into that routine of uh, quick grab and go type of stuff, throw it in the microwave, you know. Even microwaves, I don't recommend using them so much, you know, for cooking. You know, every once in a while, somebody might have to heat something up. But people are using this as a way of life. Tons of preservatives, tons of refined, you know, sugars and oils and things of that nature. And so is there a place for those foods? You know, I always tell people, yeah, there is. You know, we're on the road 40 weeks out of the year sometimes. Can I eat every home, every meal, a home-cooked meal? The answer is no. 
Can I make better choices? Well, yes, I can. Sometimes I, my options are maybe going to Trader Joe's, but I, I call that the exception, not the rule. Sure. You know, we, we do have to live in this world. And so we are faced sometimes with those things, but making foods yourself, you have, you not only have the ability to, uh, you know, monitor the salt. That's another thing with packaged foods. You're going to find high salt, oh, high yeah. sugar and high oil. Those are the three biggies and low fiber. Those are the things. But you can monitor your seasonings. You can make things to your palate's taste. You're using fresh ingredients, you know. And so there's so much benefit. I like to, for people to think that you have to work smarter, not harder. You know, when I was mentioned about my waffles, I do a whole, you know, truckload of waffles. When I'm going to make waffles, I make a ton of waffles. And then I freeze them. Sure. I have them ready. I take them out the night before. I let them defrost. I throw them in the, in the oven and just to crisp them up a little bit. And voila, that, there's, nothing, there's nothing easier than that. And so, you know, you can do this. And if you just take a little time to, to prepare, you can really, you know, do some meal planning and do a good job of that. And there's another facet too, isn't there, when it comes to preparing food. There's just something cool about it. Uh, it, it can be a very social time if it's you and somebody else preparing sure. the food together. There's just something wonderful about handling food and, and preparing food and seeing it become uh, transformed from what it was to what it what it is, and then and then eating the work of your own hands and pr- preparing and providing for others. There's something special about that process, at least the, at least I think. I is. agree. I think time in the kitchen. You know, uh, I remember I mentioned I'm from an Italian family, and yeah. everybody congregates in the kitchen no matter what. You know, we're always in the kitchen together, and it's just kind of a bonding experience. So it, it's nice for relationships as well. Yeah. As but but again, you know putting things together and seeing like, you know, the fruits of your labor on the table is really a, a blessing. And I uh, really can share that with others too. One thing I've not asked you about today, uh, gluten-free recipes are, are, are everywhere. Gluten-free yeah. has become a very, very big thing. How does your book approach uh, gluten-free food? Sure. Well, I noticed too, when I, when I teach classes that there are a lot of people that have gluten sensitivity, um, gluten intolerance, and then of course there's celiac disease, mm. which is, you know, extremely dangerous for people who to eat when they eat gluten. It damages their system. But, you know, the gluten itself, in the United States, we see a high content of gluten. Gluten really helps the texture of, of things. Yeah. And so what happens is, is that we hybridize our wheat to make it higher gluten content. So people that might have a little sensitivity all now all of a sudden feel these, like some of these maybe bloating or those gassiness or those little bit of stomach discomfort. You know, so it's funny because when I put this cookbook together and then I said, I wanted to put some, make sure I identified if you had a special dietary need that you would know this recipe was well, you know, identifies that you could have it or not. Yeah. Okay. So I put a little like legend in there where it'll say gluten free. Uh, oil-free, soy-free, or nut-free. Yep. So at the recipes. So when you're looking at that, or it also, or it could say gluten-free option, where I might give you an alternative yep, to I'm have the gluten. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, when I put that recipe together, there's about 98 recipes in the cookbook. I found out when I counted them all up that 75 of them have gluten or gluten-free or gluten-free Hold options. Hold on, 75 out yeah. of 90 or so recipes yeah. are gluten-free or gluten-free options. Yes, exactly. That's phenomenal. You, you did not set out to do that. No, not at all. And it's funny because I'm not gluten-free at home. You know, we don't, we try not to eat a tremendous amount of gluten, but we don't, we don't have to really, we don't have any kind of sensitivity, sure. but how the Lord put that together again, it's, it's all on him. I, I give him the honor and the glory. Well, that is fantastic. So listen, in case you missed that, if you're looking for recipes that are also gluten-free, 
You have come to the right place. This is a book for you. In putting the book together, what, what do you find challenging? What, were there any things that, oh, this is, a, this is a grind, or I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get over this hump? Oh, I had a big challenge because I am a cook that is creative in the kitchen, but I'm not a person that, that measures a lot. So, uh, so oh, what oh, happened man. was... I, I, I have my, that's my wife all the way, and she'll make something just unbelievable, drop-dead Fantastic. Not heart attack drop dead. You know what I'm talking yes. about. <laughs> and then tomorrow, for example, it isn't going to be the same because, well, I... I don't remember exactly. I, I just, I I just threw it in. this much. I don't know. I just... That's exactly what happened. So I had to actually recreate most of the recipes in that book. Exactly. So yep. my, my husband was like, I'm like, okay, we have a whole thing of, you know, I would have to do the recipes and then write down the measurements of what after I tweak them a little bit. Yep. So that was a little bit of a challenge, uh, getting that on paper. So that's what kind of took me so long, you know, to, to get things on paper was because, so it, it didn't happen overnight. I had to really work on it and be really diligent in trying to figure out all my recipes. Yeah. My kids are like that too. I have a couple of kids who are absolutely astonishingly good cooks and for them, it's, 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 it's the Braille method, you know, it's, it's feeling your way through. It is. Yeah. Well, well maybe that's the right amount of salt and, and maybe that's the right amount of whatever it is. And, uh, Works for them, but boy, it makes it hard to absolutely recreate things. Well, that's what happened. So, but I was able to put them on paper. So that's the good news. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. And now you have it codified. That's right. <laughs> and that's a relief. So it can be pretty uniform every time. What's your favorite section in the book? If oh. you were to pick one. Hmm. You know, I think I would go with the soups and salads. Oh, yeah? I love soup. Soup is one of my favorite foods. Hey, you got some I nice really, soups in here. Yeah, I, I love soup. So, um, I love the soups and the salads. Uh, those are there's kind of a fun section. How many of these recipes did you originate just for the book, or are these recipes that you that you'd kicked around for years, or was it something you said, you know what, I, I'm going to come up with an ABC mm. recipe, whatever I, it is. I would say most of the the recipes in the book were ones that I continually developed and took recipes. Um, you know, from growing up and yeah. and things, and because we were primarily vegetarians, and so, uh, but to make it more to make it plant based, I had to figure out what is what is the equivalent. Right. Because you know what happens is is that a lot of times when people are going from like even a meat eating diet or a vegetarian diet to a more plant based or a whole food plant based diet, they have you know you have to uh, your taste buds you know sometimes remember the old foods, so you want things that are similar that you're going to resonate with you and be that comfort food that you loved. Um, now, I, I tell people, you know, me, especially people who are meat eaters, uh, you know, you like a hamburger. Uh, did you ever have a veggie burger? I asked them. And they'll say, yes. I said, did you like the veggie burger? Yes. I said, did the veggie burger taste like the hamburger? And they'd say no. And I said, but if we can find things that we like that taste good, then can we make that replacement and say, you know what? You, when you take the bite of it, don't think it's going to taste like a hamburger. Right. But Think of it, does this taste good? And if it tastes good, then it's something that you could substitute. So I think that, you know, I didn't really plan any specific recipes that I can think of. Um, there are a few in there. Like you brought up the, um, like the carob hazelnut mousse. That was something that I did, you know, uh, specifically, and it made it into the cookbook. Like I put that together for that cooking show, and I said, that can go in the cookbook. Yeah, we're trying that at the Bradshaw house, uh, maybe tonight. <laughs> That that really looked good. So what what 
as you look forward, what, what's on the, on the schedule or on the horizon for you? Sounds like you do a lot of cooking schools. I do. I think that that primarily a lot of people uh, have seen me, so they, they recognize me for cooking schools. So when we do go to churches, I tend to do, you know, I usually finish our program with a cooking school that they can invite their community to yeah, yeah. and open up a door to build a relationship. I believe in friendship evangelism. You know, we talked about medical missionary work, but we need to meet people where they are and show them a better way, right? And if they can do a cooking school and people can come and taste delicious food, that may be healthier options than what they had, then this is a great way to build friendships and, and people in your community to open up the doors for Jesus. Mm. And that, I think, is is so key, and we don't want to forget that. Um, we don't need a, one more healthy lost person. The, the point isn't to create healthy lost people, but to encourage people on a whole person journey to faith in Jesus. I just can't shake that story we, we started off. You telling me about your dad, who just went through the phone book and I, 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 don't, I hope I'm not just forgetting, but what was it that prodded your dad to want to know more about God or to find a church that would really feed his soul? You know, it started when he was a young boy. His father passed away when he was eight years old. And oh. He was one of five boys. He, my father was the middle child of five boys. So my grandmother now has five young sons, you know, um, and uh, they had lived next door to actually a Baptist pastor. And his wife, every afternoon, uh, would have a Bible story hour with her children. My dad was the same age as his daughter, so he would go over. And my father, always from that, you know, so as a young child, was so intrigued and wanted to be there every day, you know, to, to hear the Bible stories. And so as he grew up, his friend group in his high school years were Christians. And so he really, you know, uh, really felt a calling that the Lord was calling him, you know, to give his heart to Jesus. And so, you know, he, he spent time with that group of friends. And then, of course, he, when he got married in his early twenties, he knew he needed to find a church that had the truth because as he studied, he wanted, he didn't, you know, he saw a lot of traditions going on, but were they biblical? And, and you know, it's funny because, you know, sometimes people are truth seekers. And so that's where the journey began with the phone book through the phone book. You know, he, he said, he used to tell me that when he, he would have these key questions after a while, he learned that some religions go off in a lot of different directions. So he'd have some key questions and if they couldn't answer them, he started not, you know, crossing them off and not even going, you know, cause he could like weed them out pretty good. He said, but you know, when he, he stopped when he found the Seventh Adventist Church, because he said, you know, I may not, you know, they may not have all the answers. He goes, but I've never found a church that had better answers that were to the Bible. Yeah, amen. Amen. So what do you do today when you meet someone like your dad? And occasionally you do. You'll have people come to your events and you know that 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 deep back there, this is a searching person. Maybe they're not 100% satisfied with the status quo in their life. They're reaching out after God. How do you encourage that person? You know, I think that, it, you know, I think our testimony is really our best witness. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, God is always so good because I think he gives us experiences that we can relate to any person on the earth. And, you know, when, when we have those encounters, you know, God brings back to your memory something that you can connect with that person. And I think that when we personalize it on that level and bring Jesus into that mix, uh, people really um, feel connected 
And so when we talked about, you know, being a medical missionary, and I, I had mentioned friendship evangelism, I think the most important way that we can reach people is to be personal with them. And so these open up doors, you know, we think about Christ's method alone. You know, Christ, you know, went to the people and he saw their needs. He ministered to their needs. And that's how he won their confidence. And then once he won their confidence, he opened up the door to say, let me show you a better way. And I think if we, you know, when we read about um, Christ's method, it's Christ's method alone will give true success. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can minister to people. And yes, they can be successful. But when we follow exactly what Jesus did, um, this is how we can reach people for the kingdom of God. Fantastic. You are doing an awful lot to grow God's kingdom. Um, the book is impressive. It's, it's a work of art, and it's going to bless lots and lots of taste buds. But I don't want to narrow you down to a book. I mean, it'd be a great thing to be narrowed down <laughs> to. You are truly a health evangelist and an educator and someone sharing the gospel. God bless you for what you're doing and in what you're doing. And I wish you continued success. And uh, selfishly, I'm kind of hoping there'll be a book number two one uh, day. Well, it's already in the works in my mind. How's oh, that? good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, putting, I'm gearing up to sit down again and, and put that together. Oh, oh, can, you, can you preview it at all? What, <laughs> if this is plant-based, made simple, is it going to be something similar? Or are you going to start zeroing in on this food or that you food? Know, I- I, at this point, I think I was going to do a continuation, but I let yeah. the Lord lead. So maybe there's a specific niche that we can, um, I can, uh, you know, kind of, you know, get people excited about more plant-based cooking, but I yeah. don't know. Indian food. I think it's Indian <laughs> food. I'm not, I only have a few Indian recipes that I'm, that I'm, I dabble a little, I, I know a lot about a, a lot of things. I mean, a little about a lot of sure. things. So, you know what? But you never know. <laughs> well, it has worked so far. You've done an outstanding job. Whatever you do next, undoubtedly God's blessing is going to be upon it. Karen Lynch. Karen Lynch's plant-based made simple is the book. Uh, Light is the ministry that Karen has so much to do with. Thank you very much. And God bless you. This has been a joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been fun. She's an author. She's a teacher. She's an educator. She is a medical missionary. Her name is Karen Lynch. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been our conversation brought to you by It Is Written.